And apparently not, so let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we rejoice that this morning you have sent your spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, left to ourselves, we do not know how to pray as we ought to. But Father, you accept the prayers of your spirit who intercedes on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. And Father, your Son ever lives to make intercession for us. And so we are accepted before you. You cannot deny yourself. So Lord, we rejoice in the wonderful hope that Christ is for us. We pray today that as we look to your word, that our hearts would be molded and shaped more into the image of your Son. Father, take your word, apply it to our hearts and lives. Change us by your grace so that we may leave these doors different than when we first passed through them. We pray this all in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 21. Uh, But our main focus this morning is going to be on Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It's a very well-known passage, one that likely you have memorized. It's one that uh, is oftentimes memorized in different children's programs. Or or one of the first verses I remember memorizing is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This week I was reading an article on why 2024 could be, as it's said in this article, much more dangerous than 2023. They went on in this article to describe how 2023 was relatively mild in comparison to how things could have been. It said that 2023 was the year of the brink, that we stood on the brink of worldwide disasters that thankfully, did not come to fruition. There was the war between Russia and Ukraine, that war that continues to still rage. There were, uh, early in the, in the fall, we had the war that began between Israel and Hamas, and, and there's concerns even now as, as uh, hostilities continue to mount between Iran and, and Hezbollah and a number of different things going on there. There's escalating tensions in America with China, and particularly China uh, continues to threaten to invade Taiwan. North Korea continues to grow in hostility and is continuing to fire rockets in violation of world UN declarations that they ought not to do so. I read as well that Iran is not weeks, not not months, but days away from enriching uranium so that it could be used in a nuclear weapon. If we look at the political landscape, political extremism continues to dominate the headlines. 
all around this country and not just here in America, but around the world, other nations, European nations continue to face all sorts of conflict over political ideologies. And so the conflicts and the difficulties of this world in which we live, they, they obtain such focus in our lives. In fact, many times they become the very thing that vie for our source of life. Life will be okay so long as Russia doesn't do this to Ukraine. Or so long as the war between Israel and Hamas comes to an amicable end. Life will be okay so long as Iran does not enrich weapons-grade uranium. Life will be okay so long as... And we put into that... Um, that, that, that uh, I'm sorry, my mind is all over the place today. We, we put into that equation a result that we think is going to be the very thing that brings about our source of hope throughout 2024. We're entering into a presidential election year. And I know that that weighs heavily on our minds. It's going to be plastered. All, it's already started to be plastered in the media. And it's going to not get any better. It's only going to become worse. And so as we consider what 2023 brought and we look forward to the possibilities and, and, and the things that could happen in 2024, today I'd like us to focus on the one needful thing that we must have as our focus throughout 2024. And that is growing faith in Christ. This should consume the focus of our attention but again, if we're honest with ourselves, what do we normally obsess over? News stories, political stories, the upcoming election, the economic outcome. So many other things vie for our attention. But Paul, here in Galatians chapter 2, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls us in this next year and the next year to come, to find life in Christ by faith and to grow your faith in Christ for living. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul here centers our lives in the fact that our life is found in Christ alone. Your life as a believer is not found in the political landscape turning out the way you want it to. Your life as a believer is not found in the conflicts around the world ending. Your life is not found in even your own economic situation changing. Rather, Paul here challenges us to realize our life is found in Christ alone. And so there are two things I'd like us to consider regarding what Paul points us to here today. And then we're going to close by looking at our theme for the next year and working this out and having this before us every day of this upcoming year and and by God's grace, every day of the rest of our lives as we seek to live in Christ. The first thing we see is life in Christ comes by faith. Life in Christ comes by faith. Now, for us to have life in Christ, it means, interestingly enough, as we see in verse 20, that we must first die to self. Life in Christ begins with death to self. Again, look at what Paul says in verse 20. He begins, I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, earlier on in this passage, Paul had, had discussed what we read in verse 16, that, that Paul talks about how the law as a way or a means to generate life within ourselves is useless. The law cannot justify us. The law cannot declare us to be righteous. And so when we talk about being crucified with Christ, the first thing that that means is that we must die to our own efforts to justify ourselves. Death to our efforts at justification. Paul's life throughout all of it, he had spent it trying to produce a salvation, a justification through his own efforts. He was constantly seeking, before he came to Christ, to win an unwinning battle. Now, this term justification is is sort of one of those big theological terms. And I've heard it described in many ways. I think one way that it's just as if I've never sinned. And there's some truth to that. But the idea of justification is simply a legal declaration of righteousness. It is a statement that one has met the standard. That they are righteous. And we know the scriptures tell us clearly All have sinned and we fall short of the righteousness of God. We miss the mark. We don't meet the standard. But there must then become a way for us to be justified. And every other religion on the face of this planet tells you that you must justify yourself. You must do it by keeping a list of rules, by doing certain good works, by when you come to the end of life, if you were to ask anybody, most most people in the world today, if you were to ask them, Why should they be accepted into God's eternal kingdom? Their response is going to be, well, I think I did more good than bad. And hopefully that more good will outweigh my bad and God will accept me on that basis. 
And Paul says, that's folly. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, he had a reason for confidence in the flesh. If there was anybody that could have made it on their own efforts, it was Paul. What does he say? He was circumcised on the eighth day, done according to the law. He, he was a person of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was considered a Pharisee. He wasn't just a simple adherent to the law. He was a teacher of the law. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness that he produced under the law, he says, and he says this with a clear conscience, he was blameless. Paul worked hard to be accepted before God on his own efforts. But notice, after he came to see the glory of Christ, notice what his response is. Whatever gain I had, I count that as loss for the sake of of Christ. Paul understood that no one can be justified by works of the law. That's what we see in verse 16. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's interesting that the word here that's used for no one And I I think the ESV here is trying to make it so it's a little bit more understandable and it makes sense what they're trying to say, but really it literally means no flesh will be justified. That's going to become important because Paul is going to later on discuss his life now in the flesh and how it's been transformed by the grace of God through the gospel. But the reality here is the focus on the flesh is the focus on ourselves, our efforts, our working at justification. And what Paul says is left to yourself in your sinful flesh, you can never work enough. You can never do enough. You can never justify yourself. You cannot save yourself, Paul says. And so when Paul says that he's been crucified with Christ, it is a recognition that he has killed his own efforts at salvation. This is radically different than every other religion on the face of this planet. Every other religion places the hope for salvation in yourself, in your efforts. Christianity comes and says, all those efforts have to die if you want to know true life. What needs to happen is we need to die to ourselves so that we can be re Born. What does Jesus tell Nicodemus? How do we enter the kingdom of heaven? We have to be what? Born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, the reality is we don't want to die to our fleshly efforts at salvation. 
The prerequisite for everything else that's going to flow from what Paul is going to discuss begins with dying to ourselves. Rather, we desperately cling on to hope in ourselves. Instead of dying to our efforts to justify or to make ourselves righteous before God through our own works, every other religion on earth breathes new life into the efforts to justify yourself. So the question that you need to answer today, the question that you're confronted with today, is have you died to your efforts at salvation? Or are you still leaning on your good works? It's interesting. We all know that we need to die to sin. We all understand that. We all want to put off sin from our lives. But Paul is saying here, when it comes to having new life in Christ, we also must put off our quote-unquote good works. Put no confidence in the flesh. If we're to have true life, True life that flows from a genuine declaration of justification that comes in Christ, not ourselves. It begins with being crucified with him, dying to our efforts at salvation. But not only do we die to our efforts at justification, but secondly, we then also die to our own pursuit of sin. Lest we think... That Paul is saying here, well, if you can't save yourself through your good works, then just go ahead and live a life of of sinful indulgence. Paul completely excludes that possibility. The point he makes in verses 17 and 18 of this passage is that if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is the idea then that Christ is justifying us so that we can continue to sin? Certainly not. And he makes the point, why would I rebuild the very thing that I tore down. And so Paul then clarifies more clearly for us in Romans chapter 6 about what this means. We have an old self, but that old self was crucified. It was killed with him so that the body of sin, the sinful proclivities, the sinful actions that reside in our own lives might be brought to what? Nothing. For the purpose of freeing us from sin so that in the flesh we are no longer enslaved to sin. And so the need for us then is to recognize that sin no longer has dominion over us. Because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. The reality of what Paul argues about the law being the thing that cannot provide justification is that when we are under the law, no matter how hard we work, no matter what good things we do, they will never provide justification. They will only indict us more in our sin. Jesus comes and in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us what the law was meant to do. It wasn't meant to just form our outward actions. It wasn't just meant to modify our behavior. The law was given to show us the sinfulness, not of just our actions, but of our hearts. 
And so we need to die to those things. Life in Christ begins with death to self. And so Paul sums all this up by that phrase, I am crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. As we enter 2024, those words we would do well to keep before us. I have been crucified with Christ. We're tempted to look at our works as something good that we have produced. When we're tempted to depend upon our goodness and our strength and our activities, this verse should echo in our minds. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to my efforts at goodness. When we think about our Bible reading, we've got opportunities for you to read through the Bible this year. And maybe you'll take that up and that can that spiritual discipline can easily become a means of pride. I'm on track. I've I've read through it this year. Maybe you're saying I'm going to take that 90 day through the Bible challenge and you're going to read through it in three months. And boy, that will be a badge of honor, right? Maybe you've been reading through the Bible every year for for decades. And you hold that as a badge of honor. Maybe you're someone who's here every single Sunday. And you, you, you wear that as a badge of honor. You're faithful. And that faithfulness shows how good a Christian you are. Maybe you're someone who gives generously to provide acts of mercy for others. Maybe you're someone who is always kind and and people talk about it and praise you for that kindness. Now understand, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be reading our Bibles every year. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come to church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be kind, that you shouldn't be merciful to others. All of those things are vitally important to the life we have in Christ. But we must recognize that those things do not save us. And if our mind is set upon that reality, we need to kill that. We're crucified with Christ. We no longer live. It also means then that tomorrow morning when you wake up, it's the first What's the first thing that's going to be the thought on your mind in 2024? And as strong, you know, Bible-believing Christians, we may say, oh, I'm going to be thinking about this verse. I'm going to be thinking about that. I guarantee you, if it's not the first thought, it will happen very soon afterwards. You will be tempted. You'll be tempted to think a harsh thought about someone. You'll be tempted to, to lust in your heart towards something. You'll be tempted to covet. You'll be tempted towards sin in multiple ways tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Your life is going to be filled with temptation. Our enemy walks about as a roaring lion seeking to what? Devour us. 
And so when we understand that we no longer live, we are dead to sin because we've been crucified with Christ. So we have to recognize that life in Christ begins with death to self. But secondly, life in Christ depends then on union with Christ. Notice what he says again in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life in Christ depends on union with Christ. Those who are in Christ have Christ living in them. This is the attitude, the focus that Paul calls us to. As we've already seen, we are united with Christ's death. Why have we died to ourselves? Why have we died to sin? Because we are united in Christ's death. I'm crucified with Him. But not only am I united with His death, killing our source of life in anything else, but we are also united with His resurrection. Notice what Paul says in Romans 6, 4. We're buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised by, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When Jesus rose from the dead, a day that we rejoice in, that we celebrate every week, why do we assemble on the first day of the week? Why do we assemble on Sunday? That's when Jesus rose from the dead. In one sense, every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. And that should remind us that we walk not in the way that we walked before, but we're called to walk in newness of life. But even those things, union with Christ's death, union with his resurrection, there is a reality that Christ lives in us now. His life is our life now. Notice again what Paul says in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who is living in me. What a wonderful reality that we have in this verse. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. He is the source of the believer's life. The death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that Christ now lives, He lives to God. So what, what is the application that Paul makes there in Romans 6? We must consider ourselves dead to sin, but what? Alive. Where? To God in Christ Jesus. Our death to our self-righteousness, our death to our pursuit of sin is brought about because we are united to his crucifixion, but we are also united to his resurrection and that is not a reality that just brings about hope in the future. I think we oftentimes focus on the resurrection of Christ as being the thing that we look to when we die. 
So that we know that if I'm, that when that happens, that when we die, we will be raised with him again. And there's a wonderful truth to that. Death has no sting. The grave has no victory. Hallelujah. But there's a everyday reality to the resurrection. Christ lives now. And he lives now to God. So as we are united to him by faith, where is our life set then? To God. As it is set with Christ. All of this comes about through faith. Again, what does Paul say in verse 16? A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. In Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. And so as we enter 2024, as that's just around the corner, the challenge of what Paul points us to here is to remind us of the transforming power of the gospel. And to call us to evaluate our own lives. Is that your source of life this morning? That you have faith in Christ, the resurrected one. So we have life in Christ by faith. But what about the rest of our lives? What about the everyday things we do? And that's where we see, secondly... We are to have faith in Christ for living. One of the things we have to recognize about faith is that it is not a one-time act. So often we think about faith as something we do when we get saved, at conversion. I believed, and then we don't live in faith. We think of it as that event that saves us, but we don't think of it as a principle to live by. And yet that's what Paul commands us here. What he gives as the example of his life, thereby calling us to do the same thing. Now notice what he says here. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we, we might have the temptation then to say, well, if Christ is living in me, then I can sit back. He's the one doing it. But that's not what Paul concludes. We see, what does he say? And the life I now live in the flesh. The first thing we have to recognize is that we have a life that is actively lived. What is important to note here is that Paul's, as he points to the death and resurrection of Christ, it does not leave him passive in his life. He doesn't just sit back and let things occur. Rather, who is, even though Christ is living in him, Who is the one who's living his life in the flesh? Paul is. And so there's an important transformation that Paul speaks of here that happens when we have faith in Christ. The flesh, which before could never please God. And the works of the law justify no flesh, he says in verse 16. But now he says, I'm living in what? The flesh. 
And that flesh, that life that he's living in, he actively lives in dependence upon Christ. Something has changed about Paul in this passage. So that now his flesh, which could never provide hope for him, is something that has been transformed so that he can live a life of righteousness. Not a righteousness produced through his own efforts, but a righteousness produced through his actions in in the Spirit working through him. This is what we call sanctification. And it is something that we must actively pursue. The life that I now live in the flesh. Now there's a danger here. When we hear that that active point that Paul makes there, that he is actively involved in these things, the danger lies in the fact that, well, then, then I've got to be the one who musters the strength to change myself. But notice what Paul says. The life that he is now actively living in the flesh, he lives by faith in himself. Is that what he says? He lives by faith in the Son of God. We are called to actively live a life, but that life must continue to be dependent upon Christ. The active pursuit of life in Christ is done in faith. Faith gives us new life through justification. Faith also brings about our sanctification. It changes us. Faith is the difference. Dependence upon Christ and not ourselves is the key to how we live in 2024. We have to realize that anything done apart from faith is what? Sin. Notice what Paul says here in Romans 14, 23. This is an interesting passage. As Paul is discussing an issue regarding what we eat. And there were issues regarding food offered to idols and was it permitted for a Christian to eat that food? Should he, should he or should he not eat that food? And, and, and he comes down and he points to the fact that, that someone's life, their conscience in particular, needs to be guided by a dependence upon Christ. And so he makes this statement that whatever does not proceed from faith is what? Sin. Now, now what does that reply to? The most common actions of our everyday life. When you sit down to eat, and as Paul says in Corinthians, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to do all to what? The glory of God. How do you do that? How do you eat to the glory of God? How do you drink To the glory of God. How do you do everything in your life to the glory of God? The answer is it must be done by faith. Dependence upon Christ in all things. The Christian conscience must be bound by faith. Our actions must be shaped by our faith in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, let me challenge you. As we enter 2024, when you wake up first thing in the morning and you're tempted to have an errant thought, 
And you look to find life realizing that you're dead to that sin and that you're looking to Christ to be the one to have his life produced in you. As you go about your day tomorrow, turn on the news, read the newspaper, pull up the online news article. As you sit down and have your breakfast, eat your lunch, have your kibbasi and sauerkraut and act. As we enter into a new year, dependence upon Christ in everything you do is what Paul is calling us to here. Now, let's be honest. Let's, let's evaluate for a second back into 2024. How many things in your life did you do with dependence on yourself? How often did you not do things by faith? And so if, if we are going to enter into 2024 having faith in the Son of God who saves us, we need to live every moment of life in faith in the Son of God who is our life. And then Paul gives us a, a, a motivation, at least that was a motivation for him. I think it's important for us to have this same motivation that our life which is actively lived and actively dependent on Christ is a life that is motivated by God's love. Notice what he says again in verse 20 as he ends this. I'm living a life in the flesh. I'm living by faith in the Son of God. Christ, it's not me who lives. It's Christ who lives in with me. And who is this God? Who is this Son of God? He is the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. We see the first thing about the love of God is that it is demonstrated in Christ's sacrifice. How do we know the love of God? Christ gave himself for us. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates, he shows, he puts on display his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is another verse that would be helpful to keep with you at every moment of day. Commit it to memory. Because if we're to live every moment in faith in the Son of God, it's good to be reminded of the love of God seen in the sacrifice of Christ. There may be times in your life where you are treated without love by other people. And there are going to be intense moments of temptation to turn away from the Lord, to become bitter, to, to, to feel deep in your soul a rising discontent with how things are when you are mistreated. And you can always remind yourself that God loves you. And that that love is seen in the demonstration of that love in Christ's sacrifice. In Galatians 1, he speaks of how God gave, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I mean, think about that. How many of you are tired of the evil of this age? And yet, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from our sins. 
so that we can be delivered now from this present evil age. All those things that we stood on the brink of last year, World War III on the brink of it, economic crisis on the brink of it, political turmoil on the brink of it, all of that trouble flows from a world that is evil. But Christ gave himself to deliver us from that evil. And so as we live a life motivated by God's love, we see that love demonstrated in what Christ has done in giving himself for us. But the God who loves us is also a God that love motivates our holiness. The love which God gives us in Christ should fully transform us so that if we are truly living, if Christ is our life now, then Christ, who was perfectly holy, what effect should that have in our own lives? We should pursue holiness. Not to earn favor with the Father, but as a result of Christ living in us. That's what John says. You can't love the world or the things that are in the world. Because if you love the world, guess whose love you don't have? The Father's. Because everything that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What he's saying is our lives are to be radically different than the world in which we live. And all of this is motivated by the fact that we have the love of the Father in us. We possess that. And when we love the world and the things in the world, we are saying to the love of God, I don't want that love. I want the love the world gives. And listen, the world will offer a lot of things. They will seemingly offer a lot of tempting things to you. But the world will never love you as the Father loves you in Christ. See in 1 John 3, 1, look what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called what? Children of God. And so we are. And this is the reason why the world does not know us, because it does not know him. We are to live as children of God because God's love has made us children of God. So we are to be motivated in holiness because of God's love. We also see that God's love ensures our victory. When Paul says here in Galatians 2.20 that God loved us and gave himself for us, there is, my mind immediately goes to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? And then he lists all the stuff, all the stuff, all the things that we face in life. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, Danger or sword. Now, now let's just put this into context, all right? Those things we 
fear happening, but they're not happening to us. You're here today. You came in vehicles that kept you warm on the way here. Nobody had to walk miles. Even with very comfortable shoes, nobody had to walk miles to come here. We all drove here. We parked in the parking lot. We're here in a nice, warm facility. We've got comfortable seats to sit in. Everyone here has clothes on their back. Maybe you've already eaten something. If you haven't, we have food available for you in the back. You can grab a pastry. I'm sure many of you have plans for this evening or tomorrow to have feasts celebrating your family, celebrating friends, celebrating the new year. And we get a little shaky when we hear of the possibility that bread prices are going to go up another 50%. We worry about what's going to happen when textile mills shut down and clothes cost more. But you know what? We'll still have clothes on our back and food on our tables. The believers to whom Paul is writing in Romans chapter 8, they didn't have clothes on their back or food on their tables. They had lost everything and some of them had lost their lives. And Paul encourages them in that desperate situation to realize that nothing will separate them from the love of God. And so it is for us. Listen, if World War III breaks out, will that separate us from the love of God? If the United States economy collapses, will that separate us from the love of God? If your candidate doesn't become president in 2025, will that separate you from the love of God? No. Now in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. We're super conquerors. Through him who what? Loved us. So when Paul says that he lives his life by faith in the Son of God, that faith is placed in a God who loves him and will not allow anything to happen to separate him from that love. We are conquerors in him. And the final thing we see is that God's love must guide our lives. Notice what John says in 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. That idea abide means to live in. So when Paul comes here in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and says, Look, I'm living by faith in the Son of God. That Son of God, the, the glorious Christ, loved me and gave himself for me. It's a reminder that his life is to be typified by that same love. What does Jesus say to his disciples? By this shall all the world know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. What are the sons of God known, of, known by? They're known by their love. How does that come about? Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
who loves me and gave himself for me. So our 2024 theme, it's on the front of your bulletins. Life in Christ by faith. The gospel must be the thing that drives and directs every one of our actions. We look to faith in Christ for our salvation. And that faith in Christ does not then disappear as we go about our lives, but we are to have faith in Christ for living. I don't know what 2024 is going to bring. I'm hopeful that it will bring me a lot of ham. I have a ham sitting in my fridge waiting to be eaten. I don't know what 2024 is going to bring. You don't know what 2024 is going to bring. But God does. And he's made it very clear what must be the focus of your life. If you are in Christ by faith, you've been crucified with him. It's no longer you who live, but Christ. But yet the life that you live in the flesh, you must live it by faith in the Son of God. The one who loves you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love in Christ. As we enter a new year, may that be the focus of our lives, that life, every moment of every day, would be lived in Christ. And so, Father, today, may you take your word and apply it to our hearts.